This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown. One podcast at a time. Hello, dear friends. I'm your head mister, Lord Stephen Gearhart. And I am your co-mister, the man with no name, Lance Wayne. And together we are the misters of the... the, Let's try it again. The misters of the... the, Lance! The misters of the dark! Don't shut up! Whatever. Join us wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Or go to mistersofthedark.com, where we'll be discussing all things horror, from films and books to everything in betweensies. We also have the occasional victim. <laughs> I mean, guest. <laughs> Only on the Fearscape Mania Network. <laughs> Shut up, Lance. I always get the last laugh. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Convergence Enigma with Josh and Stefan here on the Fearscape Media Network, here on the UnX Paranormal Radio Network of Dreams. That's my call out to that. <laughs> uh, I am Stefan Gearhart. I am your host, and I am joined as always by the man recently abducted by my heart, Josh Rutledge. Welcome, sir. Only recently? You've known me for so long, and it just now happened. No, up until then, it's all been lust. Oh, okay. That's fair. That's fair. I'll give you that. Yep. I've only recently fallen in love. Uh, No, we are here. We are uh, hitting again some more alien abductions for Alien Abduction April. And uh, we got a fun one tonight, Josh, because, you know, we've been talking about people that have been abducted, but I wanted to flip that do a flip side of this which is the strange huge movement that happened in the 1950s called the contactee 
movement. Because, uh, yeah. you know, when we say abducted, it, it feels as though you're being taken, right? Well, that's what abduction means. Right. And, but against your will. Right. But we're going to talk more of the contactees, much like Woody Derenberger and Indrid right. Cold. That's more of a contactee sighting. But in a the 50s, abduction. there was a huge movement uh, that this happened. Started, I would say started by George Adamski, um, which we're not covering him because he's he's a whole episode. Yeah. He's an entire episode. I'm kind of hitting five lesser known ones. You may have heard of one or two of these, but for our average listeners, these are ones you probably haven't heard of. Um, And we're going to talk about these from the 1950s. We're going to cover five contactees from the 1950s that we think that you should know about. Uh, But these, these, these folks tend to have the nicer experiences. Usually they end up on Venus at some point. Like it's a pretty common trope. (laughs) It's it's definitely interesting how we went from, everybody happy-go-lucky contactee to oh no i've been taken without my you know permission so oh yeah in my opinion once we get to betty and barney hill like that started the scary abduction point in history right because before that it was all contactees a lot of times it was tall blonde folks like right look like thor coming to save you and I'm going to float. I'm going to float a light theory here in that the people who are the contact T experiencers were involved with a very happy go lucky race of, of extraterrestrial beings. Yeah. Um, and a new race of extraterrestrial or interdimensional or whatever you want to call that uh, came on the scene and then modeled the experience off of the contactees and thought, oh, well, people will be happy to interact with us then too. Um, but found that that wasn't so much the case. And so they found that they had to switch to more uh, forcible means. Or if, uh, like the theory we've been given before, the Greys were actually Darrow that yeah. were, you know, uh, bre- like bred together with a different alien species right. to create terror so to speak so yeah. so who knows? who knows i don't know who knows uh, who knows, knows? Um, but yeah mo- the interesting thing about almost all of these contactees is almost all of them started some sort of religious cult after it so there are there is so much hoax um feeling to all of this the skeptics don't just look at the 1950s and say we're, we're it, 1950 to 1959 was a hoax <laughs> like it's just <laughs> essentially that because they all just made money off of this uh in droves so not uh, in the 2020s now we're still in the 2010s because that that decade didn't happen no yeah uh but anyways so let's go ahead and get to our first segment of the week uh get these before we can get to the five contactees first one being psychic word of the week and now the psychic word of the week. All right, Josh, Psychic Word of the Week, as usual, comes from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary from June G. Bletzer, PhD, written in the 1980s. Uh, miss you, honey bear. I flipped through the pages. I landed on page 691. It's the only page that has the letter X. And uh, I looked down, and the word that I see is xenoglossia. Xenoglossium. Uh, so this here has uh, three definitions or two. 
Um, it says, the, the first one says to spontaneously utter a language that is foreign to oneself during a charismatic, religious, or evangelistic meeting occurs when the individual is in an emotional state. There are some theories here. Uh, the first theory is individual is in a light trance state and the foreign utterance is from the subliminal level of the subconscious mind. Uh, B, uh, medieval is a sign that a demon is present. Wah! Um, C, the current version is that the Holy Spirit has touched the individual and the Holy Spirit is responsible for the utterances. Sometimes it comes out as chanting uh, in three groupings, uh, neophagia, linguistic restitution, and true xenoglossia. Um, so it's interesting that in medieval times, speaking in tongues was the devil's work. And right. in modern times, it is yep. the Lord's work. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, ridiculous, dude. Um, yeah, well, you know, different interpretation, I guess. Uh, different uh, translation of the Bible, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And it's not even just religious. I mean, there are experiences uh, with alien abductions, um, with with hauntings, with all of these different things where people are are in a panic mode or, or whatnot or, and are speaking some sort of different language, whether it be speaking in tongues, gibberish or a fully formed language. Uh, yep. It exists. It's out there. It's and it's actually Atlantean. It's Atlantean. It's all it's Atlantean. Still, it's still in our subconscious. And so when we are freaking out we just slip back into atlantean speaking that's what it is <laughs> so that's all atlantean but that's all lemurian lemurian yeah you can definitely hear the distinct differences there and moo ease just is moo ease ease that's so dumb. I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners. That's yeah. what you're getting here on the Convergence yeah. of Nick Moe, Josh, and <laughs> Stefan. Um, but it does. So again, just to um, push the narrative of the Convergence Enigma, um, this does exist in many different paranormal situations, not just yeah. religious or occult ones. So yeah. uh, it's very, very interesting. Thank you, Gigi Blitzer. All right, Josh, let's go ahead and move on to our final segment, which is UAP Sighting of the Week. Josh, UAP, UFO, USO sighting of the week. What do we got this week, man? Yeah, so um, since we're going to be talking about a lot of contactees in the 1950s, I went and pulled uh, a report that actually uh, Ooh, occurred. I thought you were going to say you pulled a hammy. No. Uh, I pulled a report that, that occurred in the 1950s, uh, and it happened in Norwich Walk, Maine. Interesting, interesting name of a town there. Um, <laughs> And it happened on or in uh, September of 1952. The exact date is is not known. So um, it says uh, on a sunny day within 450 feet uh, reported uh, to the uh, Dow Air Force Base in Bangor. No noise, uh, slow anti-gravity, definitely not from Earth. A friend of mine and I observed a silent, slow moving disc going very low over a field across the road from us. I knew instantly what it was. I ran across the road and the woman in the house called Dow Air Force Base in Bangor. While she was on the phone, another craft, like the first, 
came by in the same direction, going a bit faster. They were shiny, light gold aluminum in color, no exhaust. Witnessed as two shiny objects in the sky by a crowd of over 3,000 people at a football game in Skohagen. Was in the Naval Air Force after and never saw anything as advanced or after when worked as a military program coordinator on missile programs and more until the late 1996. We do have aliens from other planets coming here. Just lucky they are friendly. They were less than 45 feet off the ground. This man had a call to action. <laughs> yeah. He said, get ready. Yeah. Get ready. Change is coming. Isn't that the song says? Yeah. So. Change is going to come. Now, uh, did he imply that 3,000 people watching a football game saw this? Uh, he implied that there was a football game nearby where 3,000 people were in attendance and so therefore could have seen could it. have seen it. Okay, that makes a little more um, sense. But it's interesting here that he, you know, he, he talks about how um, that he saw it. He then went into Naval Air Force, you know, uh, after and never saw anything in his years of working in a, in like the advanced Naval Air Force stuff or when he worked as a military program coordinator on missile programs until 1996. Never saw anything that matched what he saw in the field um, before that, the two craft. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> Shoo, shoo-wee, deputy dog. Shoo-wee, <laughs> deputy dog. Insane. What year was that again, Josh? I apologize. That was 1952, which is also the same year that the craft flew over D.C. Oh, boy, you talk about something else we haven't covered yet. Yeah, we talk yeah. a lot about. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I don't know. <laughs> Too many quinky dinks for me, man. Uh, but yeah, so thank you for sharing that, Josh. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our topic this week here on the Convergence Enigma. We're going to be covering five contactees of the 1950s all right josh so like i said there's some pretty famous ones we've talked about we know woody derenberger we know george adamski and uh, i'm gonna end cap my five with two of the bigger ones of my list of smaller ones okay (laughs) all right um because i do there are some that some people be like well i've heard of him um so that's okay there were a lot there were a lot there were a lot um, it wasn't just an exciting time so to speak yep. uh it, it, you know again we we mentioned this this was just a time that like it's like everybody was open to it so you've got already the shaver mystery stuff had already happened you got people that are into that roswell happened You've got George Adamski's story. Um, you've got all these other things. It's making headlines right. like crazy. That's the big thing um, is, is that everybody is taking advantage of this for better or for worse. Right. Um, hundreds of books came out oh, during yeah. this time. I mean, you got all Valiant of- Thor stuff coming out. 
magazines across the magazines. World. Um, there is even like artifacts uh, <laughs> that are out there that are just obviously made in somebody's garage. Yeah. Um, but this time in our UFO history is a wonderful history of crackpots, cultists, and con men operating with a nakedness and simplicity that wouldn't get the money in the U.S. today. Like, yeah. this was happening. But in the midst of all this, I think may have been some truth. Who knows? I don't know. I'm. You talk about a time period I'm super, super skeptical of. It is this time period um, and the contactee movement because it is so money driven and it is religious, culty, um, experiential. Um, even Adam Ski, who has uh, even the people that love him like me are also detractors of him like me like yeah. <laughs> like i think i think like some of these did i think there was some real truth behind what they started with yeah but and to keep saw, the ball rolling yeah. they just you know like kept like going we, like we talk about how uh the valiant thor stuff right so the book that was written by not gray barker mm -hmm. um talking about the first visit of valiant thor that i think most people think about as potentially being a, a true account every book written by valiant thor going forward was where most people are pretty sure were written by gray barker so um you know just the you know we, we've talked about we had alan on the first time we talked about how gray um and uh, mosley and those guys they were just as much known for their hoaxes as they were for their for their books about the truth so for example, yeah, I, I mean, for example, you know, we we talk about um, my brain is dead at the moment, but the um, the painter and um, big researcher that was into alien abduction theory um, around the time of John Mack and uh, and and those guys. Uh, oh my god, I feel stupid that my brain is dead. But you know, later on, I mean, he he was essentially almost proven to be very very. Um, narrow-minded by taking any alien abduction story that he could find and blowing that up and that's all he wanted to hear that's all he wanted to push because that was the narrative that was making him money that was the narrative that that got him books um, and and things like that and it, it, it sucks because you know there there is real stuff <laughs> in yeah. the midst of all that because people were bringing real things to him at the time but he exploited so much of it that now to this day um he he's just considered yeah bunk um was it bud hopkins is that who i'm thinking of um, yeah, Bud Hopkins. That's who I'm thinking of. Thank you. Um, okay. So Bud Hopkins is the one there that I was thinking of. Bud's a really big. I mean, he really pushed the what we know today as the gray aliens right. coming in. In fact, even Whitley Stryber, who we love, he went to Bud after his experience. Um, he reached out to Bud and Bud is the one that got Whitley to the uh, hypnotherapist and all of that to go over and do his uh, his hypno regression and all of right, that stuff. Right. And again, not saying that these stories were incorrect, but Bud in the end really exploited them because he was losing his cash cow. Yeah, he was he was looking at it through the lens of how can I make money from this 
versus how can I get the truth out? Yeah. And that, that sucks. Um, you know, even Carl Sagan and Bud used to fight all the time on radio shows. Like it was a thing um, because uh, Bud was just showing up with, with no evidence. He was just doing four, fifth, six hand accounts. Um, and they were making these things. And Carl, of course, was like, dude, <laughs> you know, we yeah. need more than this fourth, fifth, six hand account. Right. I got a friend of a friend whose uncle's friend was abducted right. by an alien and it was exactly like you said in your third book you know yeah. uh bud's also the one that pushed the um the implant theory as well yeah. um and things like that so uh, again here's another person that i love and hate is bud hopkins <laughs> so. yeah and he's he's got mixed uh mixed followers in the and i think in the in the uh the community as well so. absolutely uh so anywho let's get cracking here um so the first one that i'm gonna the first contactee i'm gonna talk about he's a little bit more well known um he was in the contactee biz for uh i think pretty much until he died in 1969 and this is truman uh bathurum uh truman bathurum he's one of the most well-known uh contactees of the 1950s um which again contactees are individuals who claim to have spoken with people from other inhabited planets and entered or ridden in their spacecraft uh truman was born in california and in the early 1950s uh he was born in 1898 by the way uh, and in the early 1950s he worked as a truck driver and a mechanic on a desert road building crew he later became a self-proclaimed spiritual advisor hallelujah, uh, hallelujah. In, 19, in 1953 uh truman first published magazine and newspaper accounts of being contacted on 11 separate occasions beginning in july of 1950 by the humanoid crew of a landed spaceship in the Mojave Desert and repeatedly conversing with its beautiful and voluptuous female captain, Captain Aura Rains. Uh, this is where people get crusty because this fits the whole amazing stories of the 1940s yeah. and Pulp Fiction and just all of that this goes right into it with that um that's why a lot of people really dislike truman but the other part of truman's was is that yes his day job was a mechanic but what hurts him which sucks because this goes in the same for me because i do this as well uh he moonlighted as a fortune teller tarot reader advisor and metaphysical consultant before this happened and so people are already like you're already in the new age you're already in the occult um you know and therefore you know you yeah, are it's it's interesting here that the in today's uh community i would say that people are more interested with people who have experiences who have a scientific or military background they're they're believed to be more trustworthy yeah. and it makes me wonder if it's if it's fallout right from all of these things from the 50s is you know we can't we can't talk to someone who reads tarot on the weekends they're they're you know they're too susceptible to blah 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 i don't know yeah so. yeah i i hate that but yeah you're absolutely right when I, to me i'm like we're already kind of in the know right so you're on, you're you know we level. always talk about it. it's like once you see something your eyes are open and they stay open yeah. and uh your eyes are closed if not so uh but anyways to continue on with truman here um the the saucer and its crew that he got to see spoke colloquial 
boy, that's a hard word, colloquial English. And they came from an unknown planet called Clarion, which was allegedly on the other side of our sun and thus could not be seen from the Earth. Boy, oh boy, Josh, this is where, no, I did not get this from here. This is the first, you know, recently when looking this up, did I see this? It's just a theory that I've always had that there's a planet on the other side of the sun that we can't see because we're in perfect rotation opposite from it. Um, So, yeah, there's that. So, but anyways, yeah, so that's what he believed. Uh, Truman's 1954 book called Aboard a Flying Saucer gave many details of his suffering at the hands of skeptics and a great deal of information about the beautiful Captain Rains, Clarion, and its people. Um, it, it's, it definitely goes into that. And he did. He got, you know, he got some crap for this, as you would, because you remember in the 1950s, you know, make America great again, 1950s, um, was also a big time for Christianity. Yeah. Especially evangelical kind of Southern style Christianity. Um, That big tent revivals and big tent revivals, all of that being good and all of that. So to have all this happening at the same time, in my opinion, is brave. Um, most 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 serious UFO researchers and investigators dismiss him uh, because the majority of the contactees at this period of time were already or had become leaders in a new paradigm of movements to, in their view, inform and educate people about extraterrestrial intelligent life. Uh, the Space Brothers, you've heard that term. That was really, really popular in the 1950s in the, the cult, uh, UFO cult aspect here. Um, Uh, Truman made it known that the space people had asked him to consider creating a place of learning for those who were interested in considering the possibility of extraterrestrial intelligent life with Truman being the facilitator. So uh, he created a philosophical group called the Sanctuary of Thought, which was subsequently created near Prescott, Arizona. Uh, And Truman claimed to possess physical evidence of extraterrestrial existence, which he never produced to his death. He never produced it, such as unique items given to him by Captain R. Raines. Um, And of course, that's one of the big things there is if you've got the proof, show it. But he never did. He just said, nope, I've got it. Uh, He wrote a number of books. Um, but the, the interesting thing is, is that, uh, some of, some of his later books, uh, went on, um, but he even created, uh, excuse me, a book called the people of the planet Clarion, which was published after his death. Uh, this was posthumous, uh, and is an autobiography of Truman covering his life up until 1953. Uh, but an artist, Columba Krebs, who assisted, uh, Bethurum in writing three of his books, wrote the afterwards. And in this, she said, Truman was so obsessed with Captain Rains that he hired a secretary who physically resembled his description of the sexy alien. Mm. So needless to say, he did not have a very good home love life because his second wife, Mary, divorced him in 1955 because she was jealous over Captain Aura Rains and his obsession with her in the divorce petition. Um he he remarked later on in in lectures that his wife divorced him due to this jealousy um so both places we've got that there uh truman was married a third time and the wedding took place uh at george van tassel's very popular annual giant rock spacecraft convention near landers which we've heard lots about so uh very very interesting the um 
uh, divorce uh, because of jealousy of um, a space wife sounds a lot like uh, Stan Romanek too. Oh, 100. 100. Um, uh, there is more Clarion, and Clarion's a word I've heard many times over the years in sci-fi, but there was a book from Dorothy Martin who claimed she received prophetic messages from the planet Clarion called When Prophecy Fails, so there's more to that. But yeah, that's my first one. That's Truman Bathurium. Uh, pretty popular guy. Like I said, had his own um, essentially religious cult, the Sanctuary of Thought, uh, here in Arizona, so very interesting stuff there on that um but but let's go ahead and go to my number two josh i love this guy (laughs) this guy is nuts is in a good way his name is gabriel green gabriel green uh was someone of course uh he was born in 1924 i actually lived until two days before 9 11 uh in 2001 Uh, He was a ufologist that claimed contact with extraterrestrials, but, and here's why I love him, he was a very successful write-in candidate for the United States presidential elections of 1960 and 1972. Uh, America needs a space-age president was his his call to action. Um, So here's the interesting, there's a lot of claiming on Gabriel's end, um, just even in his personal life. That's what's interesting about Gabriel. Okay. Uh, so Green here claimed to have graduated with a PhD in physics uh, from UC Berkeley in 1953 and to have had made several important contributions to the standard model of elementary particles, but Berkeley surprisingly has no record of his attendance and his actual educational background seems to have been acquired at Woodbury Business College in Los Angeles um, which if you listen to Bob Lazar's story his even his college career has disappeared well I remember yeah there's there's a like uh, Stanton Freeman I think spent a lot of time arguing that uh, Bob didn't go where he went because they would have had some of the similar professors and things like that. And Friedman was like, I have no knowledge of the people that you speak of. And so, yeah, th- there's just a lot of, yeah. Yeah. Of course. For sure. Yeah. Bob swears that men in black right. erased it. Right. Which, you know, I'm sure Gabriel probably did some sort of this as well. Uh, Mr. Green. Um, But anyways, he, for much of his life, he worked as a photographer for the Los Angeles school system. Um, he was really big into the uh, friendly contactee version of the contactees. Yep. Uh, he, of course, referred to them as humanoids, and they were his space brothers from other worlds. Uh, he claims to have ridden in a spacecraft and visited other worlds. Uh, he founded the California-based uh, Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America, Inc. in 1957, approximately at the same time he announced he had a meeting with flying saucer crewmen from the hitherto unknown planet Corendor orbiting the triple star Alpha Centauri. Um, so people, again, are like, it's odd that you start this business and yet try to make a huge media press claim uh, so to push your new company. Yep. I mean, it, it's very interesting how uh, so many of these people, you know, you spoke about um, the kind of uh, flurry in, uh, you know, kind of that evangelical, you know, Christianity of, of mm-hmm. this time period. It's almost like the reverse happened where people who didn't want to be a part of the evangelical thing didn't 
feel like they had a place to go. So these people popped up with their other places to be a part of that's not Christianity type thing. Right. Uh, he also claimed that Corendor is orbiting the star Corena. Uh, like George Adamski, uh, he said he was able to maintain continual telepathic links with the wise and helpful extraterrestrials he met. Uh, in 1960, like I said, he ran for president for the first time. And in this, he claimed to represent the Universal Flying Saucer Party, the UFSP. Um, that was his party. And to base his political philosophy on the United World of Universal Economics. He also ran unsuccessfully for the United States Senate in 1962, claiming to have accumulated over 171,000 votes. But we don't have that because yep. he was a write-in we don't know right. uh in 1967 he published his only book called let's face the facts about flying saucers uh in 1972 he ran again for u.s president this time in iowa but he collected less than 200 votes this time uh so like most if not all of the 1950s contactees green was evidently far more interested in the new age theosophical uh madame blavatsky topics such as reincarnation channeling spiritualism and psychic phenomena than he was in being a prophet expounding wisdom supposedly acquired from his space brothers again like most of the other contactees he eventually dropped out of sight moving to the vicinity of yucca valley california after his last Last run for president thereafter little was heard from him again until his death in september 2001 uh in which they had started to let's kind of re-bring him back up let's start to push these stories again and then 9-11 happened and it kind of got thrown under the rug again yeah so very very interesting you can actually find old newspaper advertisements with his uh his his advertisements for running for president um it, it's just fascinating uh like i said it says america needs a space age president um it, it's just absolutely phenomenal i just love it he's got a winning smile like <laughs> <laughs> he's something else man gabriel green love you brother um all right so uh to get to my next one i want to move on to a uh female one um because they were actually kind of rare most of the contactees were men um you know and this yeah, is the 1950s so it's interesting too that in a lot of the abduction cases it's it's women yeah for the so, whole hybridiz hybridization hybridization yeah, yeah. It, it, you know and i think a lot of this was especially with a lot of them trying to start movements i i don't know that a woman would have been successful in america trying to start something i mean you had to have a strong personality like madame Blavatsky, you know um yeah just like from the, the time that we were in you know, as flawed as it was yep and i would say around the world it's different but this one is in south africa which i would equate with similar to the united states in a way but anyways her name is elizabeth clarer um her, her uh, maiden name was Wulat. Uh, she was born in 1910, passed away in 1994. She was a South African woman who, starting in 1956, publicly claimed to have been contacted by aliens multiple times between the 1954 and 1963. Clara's first visitation supposedly occurred when she was seven years old and she was one of the first women to claim a sexual relationship with an extraterrestrial. Hmm. 
Yeah. She promoted an ideal of a better world and beliefs in a cosmic consciousness. In her book, Beyond the Light Barrier, she strived to convey a message of peace, love, and understanding and environmentalism, which she credited to the superior wisdom of an advanced and immaculately utopian Venusian civilization. She promoted conspiracy uh, theories of uh, international cover-ups that kept vital information from the public and claimed to have been threatened with abduction to press her into revealing details about alien technology and to note the abduction was from the American government or well not American government but from the government mm-hmm. not necessarily the utopian Venusians. Well you, you remember that case uh, I don't remember exactly when it happened I think it was like later in the 60s or 70s but that case that happened in Johannesburg uh, mm-hmm. South Africa that John Mack investigated yeah um, it's interesting there that you know that again that's something happened in there in, in South Africa so yeah um, so she grew up in uh, Mui River in Natal um, and uh, here her father was a successful farmer um, and things like that and it was here at this farm at the age of seven that Elizabeth and her older sister Barbara had their first supposed UFO encounter um, while, while feeding the animals outside of the farmhouse, Elizabeth and her sister claimed that they witnessed a silver disc bathed in a pearly luster, which swooped over them. Simultaneously, a giant orange, red and cratered planetoid was observed orbiting and rotating high in the atmosphere. The disc rushed to meet it, pacing and guiding it northward while the planetoid left a smoke trail in its wake uh only months later did she have another sighting in the company of ladam their zulu farm manager Uh, ladam interpreted the sighting in terms of zulu mythology Uh, elizabeth sometimes alluded to an even earlier sighting at the age of three but three years old you know that's that's where they look at that um she moved all over the world she lived in florence italy for a while Uh, She went to school uh, in Cambridge in England, where she got a four-year diploma on meteorology because she was obsessed with weather in the sky um, and was taught by her first husband to fly a Tiger Moth light aircraft. Uh, In fact, in 1932, the sisters uh, formed the Connington Polo Team. Um, She was was pretty awesome. Um, It was the first recorded ladies match in South Africa. And then during 1937, on a flight from Durban uh, to Baraguanath in a leopard moth aircraft, she and her husband reportedly saw a flying saucer that approached, coasted along, and then departed from them. Um, And even during World War II, she held a responsible position in the Royal Air Force Intelligence. Um, She believed in her telepathic powers and tried to enhance these abilities all the way through her youth. Um, I mean, she goes on and on and on, um, but her big story is Flying Saucer Hill. This is the big one. Um, So in 1954, her sister May, then resident on the farm uh, where they were at, relayed to her that the native Zulu people were reporting appearances of the lightning bird in the sky. In response, Elizabeth and her children traveled from Johannesburg to the farm, and she ascended Flying Saucer Hill, which it is now known to today, on December 27th, and there she claimed to have seen the starship descend. It hovered three meters above the ground while only admitting a soft hum. Its hull 
uh, spinning, though its central dome remained stationary. The spaceman, who later identified himself as Akon, not the rapper, um, <laughs> was supposedly clearly visible through one know. of the three portholes, uh, but a barrier of heat that emanated from the ship prevented her from approaching, and his scout ship departed again. Akon, man. Also, oh, we don't know that it's not the same. I mean, it could be. It could be. I love Akon. Uh, some 18 months later, she visited UFO Flying Saucer Hilltop again uh, after further reports of more lightning birds. On this occasion, April 7th, 1956, Akon took her aboard his scout ship, a craft some 60 feet in diameter. Inside, she met a second pilot, stocky and uh, a little uh, darker skinned than Akon, who was supposedly a botanist as well as an astrophysicist. She was allegedly shown a lens that offered views through the craft's floor. With only a hum emanating from below and no sense of movement, they were transported to the enormous cigar-shaped mothership, which had a garden-like interior. After meeting its inhabitants, she was returned to the hilltop, a similar arrangement as that made between Adamski and Orthon in 1952. During the encounter, kisses were exchanged. I know you were wondering where the sexual stuff happened. Yeah. Uh, kisses were exchanged and Akon revealed that Elizabeth was in fact a reincarnated Venusian and a long lost soulmate. He further explained that they occasionally took Earth women as partners as the offspring strengthened their race with an infusion of new blood. He also claimed that a number of Venusians were surreptitiously living among human beings. Uh, on that note, I do want to put that there was uh, other observers that night or excuse me a few days later that saw a steady red glow poised at the rocky section of the hill which remained there for hours and no one could find any signs of fire so that's very interesting uh on july 17 1956 after the family sold the farm she made subsequent visits to the area and claimed to have taken a series of seven photos of akon's scout ship using her sister's simple brownie box camera vivid light flashes turned into a dull gray enveloped into a shimmering heat haze uh he uh some people say that what she had what she had done was thrown a, a car hubcap into the sky and took a picture yeah. though uh edgar sievers who's a ufologist he says that the frail elizabeth would have found it difficult to do so and photograph it at the same time he also stated that no make of a hubcap had been illustrated so sufficiently to resemble the disc in the photos. I mean, that, that's a lot of coordination. <laughs> oh, to, yeah. To throw oh, yeah. a hubcap and then take a picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, also, I think it's interesting here that this seems to permeate through all of the kind of tales of that time is that there's always a craft and then there's a mothership. Yeah. Well, speaking of mothers, let's move on to space motherhood here. In 1958, a series of contacts reportedly started that set her story apart from all the other UFO stories that were standard in the 50s because the visits by Akon culminated in a day-long rendezvous with Elizabeth uh, on the high plateau of Kafkin Peak where he supposedly presented her with a silver ring which enhanced their telepathic connection, their love with, was consummated, and a child was conceived. Um, she said, I surrendered in ecstasy to the magic of his lovemaking, our bodies merging in magnetic union as the divine essence of our spirits became one. Sign me up. That's Sign me up, I say. attraction right there. 
Yeah. So after her terrestrial pregnancy, she and her MG car were transported in 1959 to Akon's home planet, Meton, supposedly orbiting Proxima Centauri in the nearby multiple star system, Alpha Centauri. There she delivered a son who was given the name Eiling. He stayed behind on Meton to be educated while Elizabeth reluctantly came home. Meton's planetary vibration supposedly affected her heart, and she was consequently not permitted to return there, instead receiving follow-up visits from Akon and Eiling. The whole trip, delivery and return trip, supposedly required less than four months, sufficiently long to enable a nine-year stay on Meton, however. Um, she said that there were no cities or skyscrapers, as Earth people know them, anywhere on Meton. Homes were scattered in park-like grounds. There was an abundance of all things needed by civilization, food, water, all materials for building, and an unlimited supply of energy on tap from the atmosphere and the universe. No shortages of any kind and no monetary system as all. Mm. Um, she writes about this in her book, Beyond the Light Barrier, which came out in 1980. Um this is just uh, a very, very interesting thing. She continued this nonstop talking about this and wishing she could see her son more uh, and all of this stuff uh, up until her death. Um, Elizabeth faithfully commemorated the April 7th anniversary of her union with Akon by returning to Flying Saucer Hill. Uh, on occasion, she befriended Uh, South African Air Force helicopter pilots who sought shelter on the farm during a storm. They uh, they took her on rides on horseback um, and they took her on rides, excuse me, in the helicopters when her rides on horseback became too difficult. Her third husband died in 81 and his ashes were strewn on the hill, but she died of breast cancer at the age of 84, leaving her second book, The Gravity File, unfinished. Uh, the book supposedly fills in the gaps of the first besides elucidating the military and political aspects of the ufo research and explaining akon's electrogravity propulsion technology before her death she related to acquaintances that her son was now an astrophysicist who was crisscrossing the universe with his father and his space woman clea and their son i think it's so the first uh, a couple of accounts and the names in this one, there's a lot of use of C words. There's Clarion, there's mm -hmm. Calderon, there's Cleo, there's Akon. Like there's very k -k 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 kind of you know sounds there. Klingon, I got you. Um, yeah. She was. I just wanted to put this out there. She was in Mensa. She was in the Mensa chapter of Johannesburg. I mean, she was legit, dude. Um, yeah. Though they did not like the fact that these were her claims, and they heckled her all the time. So she she lived a pretty difficult life, that's for sure. Um, she she does supposedly uh, did give at the United Nations evidence uh, of her ring, um, a space rock crystal, and a fern from Meton, but mm, there's no proof of it existing. So, so what you're telling me is that the contactees of the '50s are as to only fans people of of, of today. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> Anyways, uh, moving on. I, that was a long one, but man, it's a good one. Uh, so the next one I've got, uh, our penultimate one here, is Orfeo Angelucci. Um, and this guy is very little known, um, but he's something else, man. Let me tell you. Orfeo Matthew Angelucci 
1912, was one of the most unusual contactees of the 1950s. Uh, he claimed that he suffered from poor health and extreme nervousness for most of his life and eventually moved for health-related reasons from Trenton, New Jersey to California in 1948, where he took a job on the assembly line at dun -da -da -da, Lockheed Aircraft Plant in mm. Burbank. Another contactee, George Van Tassel, was also employed there. Uh, at the time, not covering Van Tassel, but anyways, in his books, Orfeo says he was particularly terrified of thunderstorms and was attracted to California because he had heard that thunderstorms were rare there. Angelucci wrote the first version of his theories of matter, energy, and life uh, called the, Nat the Nature of Infinite Entities in 1952 based on research done earlier in Trenton, including the launching of a giant cluster of weather balloons. According to Angelucci in his book, The Secret of the Saucers in 1955, he first encountered flying saucers and their friendly human appealing pilots, AKA Space Brothers, during his drives home from the aircraft plant during the summer of 1952. These superhuman space people were handsome, often transparent with and highly spiritual. Eventually, Angelucci was taken in an unmanned saucer to Earth orbit where he saw a giant mothership drift past a, por a porthole. He also described having experienced missing time episodes and eventually remembered living for a week in the body of one of his space brothers of neptune in a more evolved society on the largest asteroid the remains of a destroyed planet while his usual body wandered around the aircraft plant in a daze uh in his later book the son of the sun and uh, that's s-o-n of the s-u-n angelucci related an account that he claimed he had been told by the medical doctor calling himself adam whose experiences were similar to his own uh he published several pamphlets on space brother brotherly themes uh, and so on and so forth. Um, what's interesting about him uh, is that his story was ahead of its time um, because his space brothers existed in higher dimensions so that on our plane, they are in insubstantial and transparent and that they and their vehicles can appear and disappear at will a feature that did not become standard until the dreamlike ufo abduction tales of the 1990s so this here was in the 1950s he also talks about swapping minds with the space brothers which we talked about um on that asteroid but he also reports not only routine visits with the space brothers such as neptune orion and lyra but also with jesus christ himself whose pep talks uh reported are indistinguishable from those of the space people um in fact angelucci is the pretty much the first 1950s contactee to use the term new age repeatedly um so it also reminds me of, uh, I'm not, it's not Smorgasbord, but Sforborg and whatever in the uh, 1800s or whatever, the guy that left his body and discovered Space Jesus. Oh, yeah. The guy that was in prison? Is that, is that what you're talking about? No, he wasn't no. in prison. Um, I can't remember. There, there was, there's even technically still denominations uh, of churches that are out there. Um, oh, the theologian knows we talked about him quite a bit because he was friends with... Um, one of the guys that started the method of Calvin, I think it was Calvin. Okay. Uh, uh, he was friends with him. So uh, very interesting, but yeah, Orfeo Angelucci. Thank you, sir. Uh, so getting to my final one here is, is my favorite. Um, and I was introduced to this guy from John E.L. Tenney. Um, but this is the other big one. So I said, we're going to end capital with the big ones. And this is Buck Nelson. 
I uh, love Buck Nelson, man. Yeah. Buck Nelson is the hee-haw of contactees of the 1950s, <laughs> man. He's just a good old boy. Um, he was uh, born Never 1895. No yeah, he was just an old dude. Died in 1982. He was a f- American farmer in the Ozarks who claimed to have had an encounter with an unidentified flying object and its human crew in 1954 while living in Missouri. Buck Nelson believed the friendly occupants of the spacecraft to be humans from the planet Venus. Uh, his story is contained in the 1956 booklet he authored, My Trip to Mars, the Moon, and Venus, which uh, Tenney had uh, helped get republished. Tenney does the forward to it. I own it. It's great. I highly okay. recommend it. He, he has drawings of everything. Um, I mean, this guy was hardcore. His claim accounts uh, that he saw three flying saucers over his farmhouse. He took photographs and attempted to signal with a flashlight, uh, like much like we do with a laser pointer. Yep. Uh, a beam of light much brighter and hotter than the sun was then shined at him. Consequently, he testifies that his chronic lumbago disappeared and his eyesight dramatically improved. He goes on to claim that after dusk fell, three friendly human spacemen accompanied by a large dog a big one visited him and spent time talking with him uh and there are a lot of folks that claim that after this point buck didn't wear glasses anymore Hmm. so he was reading and everything where he couldn't before uh so nelson further stated that the two of the people from venus had adopted the names bucky and bob and their main message concerned the 12 laws of God, similar to the biblical 10 commandments. He claimed to have been taken on trips to the moon, Mars, and Venus. He described how space people told him that on earth, past civilizations existed and then destroyed themselves. He said they had learned of a greater power, even greater than our atomic power. He said that space people warned him that the inappropriate use of nuclear energy was threatening the earth once again. Uh, They said, we are here to see which way this world will use atomic power, whether for peace or for war. We have stood by and seen other planets, one after another, destroy itself. Is your world next? We wonder and watch and wait. And again, I say, give up your atomic weapons and may peace be on this earth. So uh, Buck pushed this hard. Um, he, he also described something that he, he found on Venus that he called the book machine. Um, Bucky managed to show him what they called the book machine, that when a book was put into it, it would read the pages, play any music or show any picture it contained. And it was about the size of a television set. Hmm. So, I mean, it almost sounds like a scanner. Right. Yeah. Like, cause now they can read, they can transcribe, they can read things. I mean, there's so much stuff that, that we could do it almost this feels so much like future folk to me well more advanced not necessarily future but more advanced for sure yeah i mean um, you know it could go either way so yeah i don't know um uh, 1956 his 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 um booklet was was published um he became something of a celebrity there in the ozarks uh he held a successful annual spacecraft convention near his farm for almost a decade and i've heard that it was amazing uh he sold his pamphlet there uh and pay envelopes considering uh containing small amounts of black hair which he claimed had fallen off the large dog called Bo. uh nelson died in 1982 uh an unconfirmed account states that he spent his declining years with relatives in california but his story achieved a notable degree of popularity 
um, but nowhere near as big as like George Adamski, but yeah. uh, enough for Tenny to to talk. And like I said, it, it's fascinating. It, it it's interesting to hear this good old boy talking about everything. It's just uh, I highly recommend it. The book's pretty cheap uh, on Amazon or wherever, and you can get it. it and it's a quick read, and it's cool yeah. to see all his drawings and pictures and and huh. whatnot. I love me some Buck Nelson, man. Just and it also sounds like some sort of a wrestling move. <laughs> oh, we put him in the Buck Nelson. Oh, yeah. I just, I love that this dude, if he was making it up, he ain't very good at it. He's like, oh, uh, yeah. So what were the guy's names? Uh, Bob and uh, B- Buck. Bucky. B- Bucky. Yeah. Bucky. Wasn't that like your name? No, 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 no. no I'm no, Buck. It's different. He's Bucky. Spelled with a Q. He's Bucky. What's the dog's name? Bo. Bo. It's all bees. Yeah. All bees. I'll be. Uh, but anyways, yes, yeah, so that's, that's what he said. That's my that's my five contactees, oh, uh, lesser known ones that I wanted everybody to hear about because they're just and those are just small little dives into those. Um, I highly recommend checking out all small the small pieces in the tapestry of contacteeism. So yeah, Josh, that yeah. is the five contactees. Like I said, um, lots of goodness there. Check out some information on that. Uh, but we're gonna go ahead and, and get out of here, man. It has been. I I got I got to get out to the desert. I got to go get contacted. Yeah, well, you know, or, or abducted, whichever. No, uh, no, whichever way you go. I mean, this it's... week I'm just getting contacted. Next week. Next week your... I'll get abducted. Next yeah. week I will get abducted. Well, it, it's week. also interesting uh, if you think about it too. Almost, uh, not I won't say all, but a lot, a lot of abductees become contactees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that first one is like traumatic, and then something changes in the in in them or whatever, and they seek out future contacts, right? So, yeah. So here's my quick theory: is uh, Elizabeth Clare, what if her daughter, uh, uh, or her son, excuse me, had a daughter, and that daughter is who hooked up with our dude David Huggins? Possible. Because he said oh, she looked oh. like a hybrid of human and gray alien. That's true. That's true. That's she saying. had blue eyes and black hair, I think, too. Yep. So. That's Elizabeth Claire's grand granddaughter. So that David, your your kids are the great granddaughter's yeah. sons. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Anyways, let's go ahead and get out of here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Convergence Enigma here with Josh and Stefan. And boy, we didn't even really have time to talk about convergency stuff, but yeah. I mean, any of that well, I mean, could be dimensional, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. Take throw a throw a dart at anything in the 1950s, and you're going to catch all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. so much stuff. Uh, join us next week for our final, um, our final alien abduction. We're going to be talking about one of the most famous of all time, the Pascagoula abduction. Whew. Man, it, have your rubber pants on for that one. It's a doozy. That's a doozy. Uh, but we'll go ahead and get out of here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, this is Stefan with a reminder to keep your eyes on the skies, folks. And this has been Josh. And the truth is now. And remember, folks, keep searching. Keep questioning. Good night, everybody. Good night.